This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, September 7th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you answering your finance and investment questions. As always, my phone number is the same, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's 888-99-CHART, excuse me. I've got a packed podcast for you today, and my focus point today concerns the story behind this headline, Stop Relying on P.E. Ratios, and this is something the, the average investor uh, needs to learn um, quickly, uh, and it's that the PE and the E especially uh, is dependent on a single year, but there are other data points to consider when trying to value a stock and too many people get caught up in the PE ratio and don't understand what is cheap. They think a single digit number is cheap and they think a number above 30 or 40 is too expensive. And the answer to that question is really, it depends. So we're going to break down the reasons why. So that's our main focus point. I also want to talk about electric vehicle stocks and the companies in the space and how they are going to manage through this period of higher interest rates, higher input costs, and what that means for uh, Tesla, as well as the other recent IPOs that I think a lot of people are getting hyped up about, but I want to unpack the operating environment and the investment environment that they are operating in. So I'm going to look at that. Also, we are less than a month away from the end of the third quarter, and I want to do a little review of what analysts are doing with earnings expectations for this quarter, what sectors are doing better and others doing worse, and what the overall growth is likely to be for the quarter. Then lastly, we're going to touch a bit on mortgages in retirement. This is a much debated kind of personal finance uh, thought process that a lot of people uh, go over as they enter retirement. And I'm going to unpack kind of the, the upside and the downside, especially in a high a rising interest rate environment. What does that mean for you and your mortgage? in retirement. So those are the things that are on my mind, but ultimately I want to know what is on your mind. So I know we have some voice bank questions ready to play as well. So I've got all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, I'll take your calls live at 888-99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had quite the rally. The S&P was up 71 points, uh, nearly 2%. On the major indices, you had the dollar uh, reversing uh, pretty pretty nicely, uh, made mainly against the euro. As the euro, uh, I think we had the ECB meeting coming up, and what their rate uh, expectations are going to be. You also have the entire 
region trying to deal with higher energy prices. And I know they have, are pushing through some packages to uh, try to reduce those uh, for consumers. And all that has uh, has impacted the, the, the euro, at least today. Now, the yen, not so much. That was still down pretty, uh, pretty nicely, but just shows you that's where the reversal in the dollar came from today, focused on the euro region. Uh, but that did give a lift to some commodity prices, gold, uh, copper was up, uh, but mainly the energy side had actually dipped a bit. So that was a bit of a pullback there. Uh, but we definitely have seen some, I've noticed some major negative sentiment over the past week or so. Uh, and I, that always makes me, gets my antennas kind of tingling, right? To just figure out uh, how bearish people really are. And oftentimes that leads to pretty strong rallies. And we are, you know, we're likely to get the one, at least in the near term, how far it goes, we shall see. We are in the midst of QT, accelerated QT by the Federal Reserve here this month, as well as the expectation, a 75% chance of a 75 basis point increase at the Fed meeting later this month. And certainly the market has kind of priced all that in at this point. But the question is, how much does that mean to markets and or the, the EPS, the, the earnings per share expected this quarter, which we'll talk about a little later, is a little hint that, you know, a big breakdown in markets is, is, is relatively unlikely, uh, despite the, the headwinds on the, uh, the monetary side. Uh, so kind of a choppy period, still kind of, you know, neutral to slightly bearish overall on the indices. Uh, but near term, this move today, uh, you had the VIX with a bearish uh, engulfing, which means that's positive for the markets, uh, and the S&P, uh, a bullish engulfing. And then the NYSE, that also had a nice uh, move today as well, over almost a, a, a percent and a half. So uh, oversold conditions into support, not surprised to see a rebound. Uh, and I think the big tell will be how much of a reversal can the dollar get? If it's a big reversal, then I think the markets can get a nice reversal. If it's only short-lived, short little pullback, then that's going to mean more pressure, continued pressure on the markets downward. So that's the market today. And we'll have big CPI data next week on Tuesday. That will be a big the, probably the biggest number, biggest economic number to come out between now and the next Fed meeting. Now let's get to our first listener question now. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is Jade from Utah. I have a question about uh, Porsche and its upcoming IPO. Uh, ticker symbol is P-O-A-H-Y. I bought it and it's dang, as you can imagine, it hasn't done so well these last six months and wondered what I should know about the IPO, if it's something that you think it's worth holding on to. I know that Justin has mentioned it in the past as a better play on electric vehicles, perhaps because of it, its connection with Volkswagen. And I wondered if there's anything I should know about the IPO, if it's something that I should either get rid of before the IPO or if I should hold on to it until after the IPO. Thanks for your help. All right, now looking at Porsche, and I have said in the past that if I'm betting on one car company and for the EV transition, it's going to be Volkswagen and specifically Porsche. The Porsche stock has a controlling interest in Volkswagen, and it's 
frankly, undervalued compared to the Volkswagen listing. So uh, that's why I said that's been kind of the, the number one. Now, frankly, any of the electric vehicle makers are difficult businesses longer term. I've said that many, many times. Um, so Volkswagen is no different, just they're the best prepared out of all of them because of their history, because of their brand, many brands, as well as their uh, expertise at building vehicles at scale, which is, uh, remember the auto industry, that's what it's about. It's about efficiency and quality and scale because you need to uh, produce a lot of vehicles to make the R&D or the, the CapEx spending to build plants, maintain plants, et cetera, um, you know, spread that out over a large number of vehicles. And that's the way it makes sense. That's what the car business has always been. That's why, you know, in the 70s and 80s, the Toyota and Honda, they started to eat Americans lunch because they were uh, better at efficiency and scale. Uh, and that's just the history of the automobile industry. And so I don't see electric vehicles being any different. Um, so if you hold Porsche, I think the the IPO is probably a good thing. Um, it's going to open up uh, easier easier ways to buy the the, the shares on uh, if it's U.S. listed. Uh, right now, it's obviously listed on foreign markets, and so I would probably hold through it to get that burst. Um, now, would you would you hold it long term? Well, that depends on you know, how much you really want to hold an EV maker. Um, I'm always a bigger fan of the companies that produce the things that go into the cars that uh, are, are necessary um, because their businesses tend to be more consistent. Uh, their pricing power tends to be more consistent as opposed to the, the actual vehicle production becomes, is always pretty cyclical. Um, so I would hold it for now, but it maybe would be, on the lower list of the, the type of names that I would hold longer term, unless you were adamant about holding an actual EV producer. Now we're heading into a break. Steve Peasley and I are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we'd love taking your live calls as well. It's a chance to interact with our listeners and we'd love that. So give us a call on Invest Talk at 888 chart Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. 
Now, when people take the time to leave in a best talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy, but getting to their questions quickly. Outlier one says I purchased PFIX interest rate hedge as a speculative position at $40. It is currently near all time high at $58.95. I'm considering selling all or half of all my position at these highs. What is your opinion on PFIX? Should I take my gains now or hold? All right, this is an interesting one. This is the Simplify Interest Rate Hedge ETF. And I don't know a lot about it, but what it looks like is when interest rates rise, this rises. So it is uh, does have an expense ratio about uh, 50 basis points. So it's kind of expensive, but not really for uh, a speculative invest, a speculative vehicle. I say it like this because I don't think speculative and investment kind of go hand in hand. It's a speculative vehicle. And today it's pulled back as interest rates pulled back to two down two dollars and thirty four cents to sixty and change. And the answer to your question is, I do think that this is. Uh, a good time to sell uh, this position. Why? Because uh, the 10 years moved from a low of about two and a half back in early August. And now we're at three and a quarter, even after down being down 75 base, 77 and a half basis points today. Uh, and I, I think we're in a range bound situation for uh, interest rates. You know, we've been bouncing around really since April as remember the Fed started to aggressively tighten and or give rhetoric towards aggressively tightening, meaning more than just 25 basis points per meeting, talking about 75 basis points, which if they did it for September, that would be the third consecutive 75 basis point hike. Uh, remember, they started talking about that in the April, May timeframe. And that's really when the 10 year started to peak out right around 3%. And we've been gyrating uh, above it and below it by say 50 basis points uh, pretty much ever since. And so we're at the top end of that range. And so from a speculative standpoint, you kind of got most of what you're going to get, uh, at least in the near term. And I think uh, we're in a range bound situation until there's some resolution to where inflation is headed. Uh, I talked a little bit today on office hours about how the uh, th there's a strong correlation between the ISM services paid index and the CPI number. And it's usually two months lagged, meaning when this, the, the PMI services index starts to uh, move uh, in earnest, either up or down, usually you start to see that number on the CPI reflect a couple months later. So there's a little bit of a lag there. Um, now, we've seen a big drop over the past couple of months in that prices paid index. And that means inflation is likely to head a bit lower as well. And so this is something uh, that means that the, until there's a resolution of where the interest rates are going to go, then, or sorry, where inflation is going to go, then interest rates are going to be range bound. So that's why I would take your profits now and move on. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. 
And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this statement, stop relying on P.E. ratios. And I hammer this home a lot, but I want to dig into the details. And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you will know that I think valuations matter in the long term. Short term, that's often not the case. Usually earnings revisions, interest rate movements, movements in the economy, etc. But in the long term, valuations are important. The problem is, is that the vast majority of people rely on PE ratios as their measure for valuations and intrinsic value of a company. And the reality is there are a lot of caveats to that PE ratio that most investors don't understand and they don't account for. So let's start with the P. The one caveat is fairly simple. When you're looking at the P, the P part is the price or in the actual calculation, it's the market cap of the company. But the market cap doesn't include net debt that the company has in the balance sheet. So that's enterprise value. And that's why I rather use enterprise value, okay, as the top of that ratio. The bottom is E, and the E can mean a lot of things, right? Earnings per share or net income. And there are two types of E. One is forward, one is trailing. Trailing ratio looks at the last 12 months and says, okay, what did they earn? And then forward is what is what are analysts expecting the next 12 months earnings to be? So both are very different. It depends on what you're looking at and what you want. And then that also only looks at one year. And the value of any company should not be summed up in the earnings of one single year. Okay. And the reason for that is because some companies are consistent and others not so much. Now, the first thing is one-time charges. So these are non-cash, usually charges to earnings, and they can be for a lot of different reasons. One of the biggest reasons would be for writing down the value of a particular asset, okay? Meaning they had, uh, this happens a lot with with, uh, the, the banks where they, lend money and they have to set aside money for reserves for defaults. And these are non-cash items, but these are basically um, expectations of defaults in the future. Whether those are actually accurate or not is another story, but they will, they will do that from uh, quarter to quarter. They will change that, that write-off that, that they that they're hitting to earnings. Others could be a write down of a particular um, asset that they own uh, a building that was impaired or a brand that they had uh, put a large value on because the brand was doing very, very well. And then suddenly a competitor comes along and they 
they, their brand is now better. And now this company has to write down the value of that brand that they thought was, was higher. It's a non-cash item, but they have to adjust for those things. And that can mean short term that the E can change dramatically based on the, that, those one-time charges. Okay. Now next is durability and the consistency and durability of the business mean, uh, basically means that there's a competitive advantage and Warren Buffett always looks for this, a durable competitive advantage. And because he wants to see what the business will look like 10, 20, 30 years from now. Now, that's why he loves Coke because he, you know, Coke is a brand that's been around for many decades and uh, their brand is, is very well known and their, their business is very consistent. And so he's willing to pay a premium for a durable, consistent business that he has a very strong confidence that there will be around a decade or two from now. And I absolutely agree with that. Paying higher than average multiples for those durable businesses is absolutely real. It makes sense. You know, there are very cyclical businesses. Uh, commodities are a very common one. Uh, most commodity companies trade at low multiples. Why is that? Well, it's because there are good times and there are not so good times. And in the not so good times, they tend to lose money because there's an, their products are in oversupply. They're producing them at a negative margin. And what do they have to do in those times? Well, they have to increase their debt load. They have to issue more shares. Uh, they sometimes have to cut their dividend, whereas a more durable business they're the opposite. They're buying back shares, they're increasing their dividend, uh, and they're reducing their debt. Okay. And then there's growth and growth is in this. Remember, this is growth of earnings, not revenue. A lot of people talk about revenue, talk about growth stocks. Business growth is very important. And Y charts has EPC, EPS growth rates on average about 9%. So if companies are growing well in excess of that consistently, then you're willing and should be willing to pay an extra uh, premium to that. Okay. So that's important. And then cash and cash flow. So cash flow can be nicely positive, but earnings per share can be very, very, uh, negative or muted. Uh, and so you want to account for that when you're doing these valuations. We're heading to a break. This is Invest Talk, So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, 
I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Eric from Virginia, hang on. You'll be next, but tomorrow on Invest Talk, the story behind this question. Should bonds still play a role in your portfolio? And now I want to finish what I was uh, my focus point, which was talking about P ratios. And I really want to get to cash and cash flow. And you know, Amazon is a is a good example of a type of company that didn't report positive net income for many, many years, but was cash flow positive for a long period of time. And the reason was is because they were investing in a lot of physical a physical properties and uh, fixed investment that tends to be depreciated, even though it is really not depreciating in a lot of ways, especially real estate. Um, but remember the E is backing out depreciation. It's backing out amortization, which are non cash items. They're just basically accounting, uh, accounting metrics that vary depending on the type of asset and the strategy the company has with that that particular asset. And so oftentimes E can be misleading, especially when you're in a big investment cycle and writing a lot writing off a lot of that uh, that money that's going into the business. Um, so make sure you're aware of that. And then E also doesn't consider current cash sitting on the balance sheet. So if a company is just raking in the cash and, and they're just putting it on their balance sheet, maybe investing it in cheap, secure, you know, safe securities. Uh, think of Apple. Apple's been doing that for a long period of time because they produce so much cash. That E is not accounting for that either. Um, and so it's important to delineate when you're looking at the E and PE ratios and, you know, why could it be high or why could it be low? 
depending on the durability of the business, the growth of the earnings, the cash flow, the current balance sheet, uh, etc. If the durability is high, you're being going to be okay paying a premium. If the durability is low, probably not so much. Same with the growth of earnings. Same with cash flows. All of these things are very important when you're trying to understand the intrinsic value of a business. So don't get tied, caught up in, don't get caught up in the PE too much because it is a very, very flawed metric. Now let's go to Eric in Virginia and wants to talk about gold and silver prices. Hey, how's it going, Justin? It's going well. Um, so I'm calling because um, so. It seems like over the last year or so, the biggest headwind to gold and silver has been the rising dollar. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, kind of my thought process would be that, you know, at some point that's going to turn around. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, I'm also wondering if just the fact that, you know, deglobalization is definitely um, playing into America's favor, in my opinion, with just the fact that we're set up better to be, uh, you know, independent from a lot of other nations versus, you know, other nations aren't. Is that something that could potentially make the strong dollar last longer than maybe I thought it would? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the fact that we are more uh, more stable uh, as a as a as an economy, we're more diversified economy. We don't have to import a lot of raw materials, uh, whether that, uh, whether that's energy or um, soft commodities or other types of hard commodities. Um, I think that's certainly true long term. We're we're set up fairly well. Energy independent. We're the largest energy producer in the world, uh, as well as we have a lot of deposits of, you know, copper and uranium and all types of uh, other uh, minerals that are important, as well as ag. You know, we're the largest agriculture uh, agricultural exporter in the world, and so uh, I think you are correct in that sense, especially if you compare it to the likes of Japan or China who have terrible demographics, which we have pretty good demographics. Uh, So all of these things are setting up for America to be stronger on the other side of this. But that doesn't mean that um, it's going to be consistently strong. Uh, The dollar, I mean, Uh, the dollar is going to go through its up and down cycles. Uh, Right now, we are tightening policy much faster than the the rest of the world. The rest of the world trying to catch up with us. Uh, And then on top of that, we stimulated our economy to a large degree. And so that is all wearing off. And unlike, and it means that our economy is moving back towards what the rest of the world has been doing, which is uh, since the pandemic, which has been in more of a fits and start starts type of um, uh, process uh, where we had huge growth because uh, into in late 2020 and 2021, because of tons of fiscal and monetary stimulus. Uh, and so that's going to wear off uh, in, in relation to the rest of the world by sometime uh, middle part of next year. And I think that's something to consider in the, the medium term. Um, and then the fact that inflation is likely to peak here in the back half of the year and come down pretty decently, especially in, in, in the first half of, of next year. So all of those things makes me think that the dollar is likely to uh, be at a, a near-term, uh, I guess, intermediate-term top, uh, at least close to it. Uh, when we actually see that, we'll, we'll see. Maybe today was that that first big uh, reversal. Um, but I do think that gold and silver are at a, a longer-term bottom, especially if you zoom out 
and you look at the support levels, you look at the pattern, um, this is major support and it's held it um, despite a strong dollar, despite higher interest rates. All those things should be, uh, should, should say that the gold's gonna, gold and silver are going to break down dramatically. Um, and they're certainly down, but they're they're not falling off a cliff like you would expect them to do with with those other headwinds. And so uh, that relative strength is uh, telling me that uh, longer term, the longer term bullish uh, setup that is within the precious metal space remains intact. Uh, and so, uh, you know, long term, the dollar can go up and gold can go up. Um, but obviously, near term, um, that makes it a little bit more difficult. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278. Let's talk about electric vehicles. And we had a pretty big sell-off last week in electric vehicle stock stocks, excuse me. And Rivian finished down 21% uh, after Ford Motors announced that they're going to sell or they had sold a large stake uh, that they owned in it. And it's now down... 71% from its IPO price. And other other large uh, EV makers like Lucid, uh, they had first quarter earnings and they expect production between 12 and 14,000 vehicles in 2022. And that's after reducing in February from 20,000. So they stuck with that lower target and they're dealing with a lot of headwinds to their business and, and rising costs. And it's not just about the right those rising costs, but it's also related to rising interest rates. And, you know, it's a lot of the value that the market has put on these EV makers is based on long term growth potential. And that long term growth target is easier to hit when capital is essentially free. But the rising cost of capital now is hitting these speculative stocks as well as all other speculative stocks like we've talked about. And launching a new car maker is very expensive. And it costs can the costs come are for many years before there are any profits. So bridging that gap is much easier when interest rates are, are, are very low and the cost of capital is essentially free. And companies like Rivian and Lucid, they came to market when capital was a lot cheaper. And they still have a lot of cash on hand. Luckily, Rivian has about $18 billion at the end of last year following its IPO. Lucid has $5.4 billion at the end of March, although they burned through $680 million in just the first quarter. And it said last week that it had money to that, to fund itself well into next year, but that basically implies, guess what? They're going to have to go back to the market next year, which is not far off. And so the cost inflation this year has pushed out expectations of when these EV companies will be profitable and how affordable they will be to consumers. You know, we've talked about this inflationary environment and the push towards electric, electrifying our grid and, and modernizing our grid, electrifying our vehicle fleets, et cetera. All this is going to take vastly, a vastly more reliable infrastructure than our current manufacturing process of internal combustion engines, as well as delivering gasoline. All of that has been done for decades. And 
most of it is steel and aluminum. You know, there's, there's not a whole lot of complexity to the types of inputs that go into an internal combustion engine car. And those supply chains are well-tested, well-supplied, uh, and reliable. Whereas the supply chains for the EV side are much more complex. You're talking about lithium, you're talking about nickel, you're talking about cobalt, you're talking about so, so many other uh, minerals, copper, that are needed, and some in vastly larger quantities. And so that's going to push the, the cost curve continually upward and make it even more and more difficult for consumers to, to, to ramp up their buying uh, because those costs are probably going to continue to spiral higher as opposed to lower. And that makes it even harder for the EV companies to make money. Um, so despite the hype and the hope of, uh, of, a, of a long growth trajectory, the odds are, are very low that these companies are going to get to profitability anytime soon, and their cost of capital is likely to head higher. Now, we're headed almost into summer's end, and it's still hot in many places. I know it's very hot here in Laguna Beach, and it's the time of year when market volatility is also higher, and it means you need to pay attention and stay updated on the current macroeconomic trends as well as the microeconomic trends from a company and sector perspective. So I think it's worth taking a minute to make you some of the aware of some of the benefits of working with myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial. We're based in Irvine, California, and you can reach out to us and schedule a complimentary portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. And we can talk about whatever is on your mind, go over your portfolio, your risk, and your ultimate goals to see if they are in line. And at KPP, it's where we provide unbiased guidance, both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So no obligation, your call, we can talk. And the sooner you connect with us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Next up, we will play another listener question from our toll-free InvestTalk voice bank at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin, love the show. I hope you can answer my question. I'm a small-time real estate investor. I have a few long-term rentals, and so I understand how that works, and I, I love 30-year fixed-rate loans. My question is regarding REITs that have commercial property. I know that they, the amortization is a little different. They have to refinance every five years or so. The interest rate changes. Particularly, I've been buying STAG, S-T-A-G, lately. They own warehouse buildings. And I'm wondering what you think, how the interest rates going up is going to affect commercial real estate, and what you think about STAG, S-T-A-G. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Looking forward to the answer. All right. I love this call uh, because he's highlighting STAG Industries, and this is a REIT, a real estate investment trust, that acquires and, op and operates single-tenant industrial properties throughout the United States. And the vast majority of the portfolio are warehouses and distribution buildings. 
And they did very, very well. Their earnings or funds from operation, which is how you quote earnings uh, in, on the, in the REIT side, uh, that had a big boost in 2021 from uh, $1.83 in 2019 all the way to 205 in 2021. And that's much better growth than they do typically used to. Uh, but that has come back a bit to $1.93 uh, expected this year and then a 203 next year. So a bit of a bounce back, but you know, not a high growth, uh, you know, business, uh, but their revenue is certainly going up, but their input costs are going up as well. So, uh, but overall I like the business. Um, and you talked about commercial properties and that's certainly true. The financing costs uh, are different than your typical 30 year fixed rate mortgage. Uh, but, Good REIT companies uh, with their diversity of their businesses and the number of properties, they typically have pretty solid um, lenders and pretty low cost of capital, uh, although it will go up a, a bit. Uh, so I don't see this being an issue for this type of company because of the strength of the warehouse and distribution business. Even though it's pulled back a bit, it's still long term. I think secularly, they're in the right place. Uh, I wouldn't want to get into office REITs, for example. I think that's going to have continuous pain over the long term. And uh, so that's a different kind of side of the commercial uh, real estate space. Uh, but Stag, to me, is on the right side. So I think it's a good one. It's already pulled back pretty dramatically, really back to uh, pre-pandemic levels. And their funds for operation expect to be a bit higher than those. Uh, those. So I like this. Uh, the chart is kind of firming up. Uh, so I'm going to give Stag a, a thumbs up. And I like that you're looking to diversify your real estate holdings uh, just a bit. Thanks for the call. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one, one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Hello. I was wondering what your current thoughts are on Apple, A A P L. I'm currently a shareholder and I've actually had some pretty nice gains on it and would not hesitate to add to that position with the anticipation of future growth of the company and the stock as well. As I leave this voice message, it is about 156.23. That's on uh, Friday afternoon, September 2nd. Look forward to hearing your answer and uh, thanks again for what you guys do. All right, looking at Apple, A-P-L, and they did just have their iPhone slash AirPod Pro 2 slash, what else did they announce? They announced something else today, um, but mainly it was their iPhone event, and clearly that's a big driver for their business, and I do think that upgrade cycle is going to mean good growth in sales for uh, the back half of this year and next year. Um, now our fair value, we deal in this for clients. Our fair value is about 150. Now it's at 154 and change, uh, to close today. Um, so 
you know, I think it's about fair value. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily cheap. I don't necessarily think it's expensive. Um, it's certainly a durable, consistent business with good cash flow, like we talked about earlier. Um, so certainly willing to pay a premium to a forward-looking P ratio somewhere in the, the mid-20s. Uh, and I think that's where it should be, so it should, where it should be priced. So uh, I don't think, once again, it's expensive or cheap. It's about fair value. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on earnings, earnings estimates and analysts, per usual, they tend to adjust their earnings as quarters go, the quarter goes on and their expectations for the third quarter have fallen about 5.5% since the start of July, dropping for every sector except for energy. And what sector has seen the biggest shift in analyst earnings expectations? Well, that would be technology down about 30% as, and then, uh, when you have, uh, let's see first half of the year, um, sorry, energy was the only segment to rise during the first half of the year when it comes to earnings expectations and up 61% year to date. So that's where you're seeing by far the most growth, um, financials, non-cyclical. So think of consumer staples, materials and industrials and discretionary. Those are all the sectors that had the most, the, the biggest earnings revision downward for the third quarter since July. So a little over a month and you only have a few more weeks left in the quarter. Um, but overall earnings growth for the third quarter is expected to be 4.7%. Now, if there were similar surprises to the third quarter as there was for the second quarter, well, then the actual growth would come in at 9.6%. Remember, this is nominal. This is not a take into account for inflation. So in real terms, earnings are down. But remember, the market, the price you're seeing on your screen is not adjusted for inflation. It's based on earnings per share. And earnings per share itself continues to go up. And that's why I would say in an inflationary environment, most stocks tend to go up. It's actually a pretty decent inflation hedge as long as inflation isn't out of control, which it's starting to become more in control. So I wanted to highlight that and give you an update of where we are when it comes to the earnings trajectory for this quarter, still expected to be about a 5% growth for Q3. Well, I think that does it for another episode of Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, and it's official. We will cross over the 50 million mark tonight, thanks to you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave a brief question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. 
Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1 800 557 5461. Steve Peasley is president, and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24 hour listener line at 888 99 Chart.